I told you, all of my critics, I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. The winner by unanimous decision and still champion of the world, Muhammad Ali was beaten. GOAT, greatest of all time. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. To be the greatest, you need to be remarkably skilled and do it over a long period of time. Greatness doesn't mean forever. Others can overcome it. Greatness can be conquered, outdone, and overmatched. Greatness can be a one-hit wonder. Greatness can come in a flash. But who is the greatest? I know. Sustaining, long-lasting, withstanding the test of time, conquering and overpowering even after death. Goat, greatest of all time. If you want to make an argument happen, uh, debate who the greatest of all time is. <laughs> and there's all subjects which we've tried to cover. Some of you, you're, you're mad about what we chose at the beginning of the whole time together. You're like, no, that's not the greatest song of that decade. And you've got your own idea of that. Uh, and, and, and I know that when I bring up greatest of all time, that, that all of us begin to form opinions across different genres. So yeah, maybe you think the greatest of all time was uh, Elvis Presley. Uh, maybe you think it's the Beatles. I have lots of friends who, who think it was the Beatles, and, and so I've got lots of friends who, who are wrong. And, and, and it's fine, it's fine. Uh, some of you, it, it's more, more recent, Michael Jackson, Prince. Some of you are like, no, Mozart still has it, still has that locked in. Uh, but maybe music isn't your deal. Maybe music is somewhat important to you. and Maybe you're like, no, I, I really value the really important things in life, like, like sports. And, and you might have, oh, you want to you end some friendships. You, you start talking about who, the, who maybe the greatest of all time is in football. Some of you, you think it's Tom Brady. Um, you're wrong on that too. Uh, yeah, see? see? See, some of you, you're like, well, why is he not? Because he's on the Patriots and that disqualifies him. That's how that works. Uh, now, now, in the era that I grew up, I still would argue all day long with you, I think maybe Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete of all time. Now, I know, though, I'm still, like, not in your world yet, not everyone. <laughs> You're like, yeah, music, sports, and, and, and so I want to clarify. Let me clarify. When I talk about the greatest of all time, you might wonder, well, what makes that person the greatest of all time? So I came up with my own kind of definition. Uh, the greatest does what no one has done. There are, listen, a lot of greats. There, there's a lot of people who, who accomplish and break through some goals and, and records, but those are just greats. Those aren't the greatest. The greatest is someone who, or a group of people who haven't ever seen what they're accomplishing. In fact, no one has. So when I talk to you about the greatest of all time, you got to be careful with who you'll argue about and land on. You got to be careful. And so, so if you are not in the world of sports or music, you might go into the world of science. And if you remember that class from a while ago, you might remember some of the brilliant minds and maybe, maybe someone in there is, is one of the greatest. Or maybe you even go into leadership. Let's just talk impact in the world, right? 
impact in the world. Uh, someone like, like maybe Mother Teresa, if you're not familiar with her, she's done incredible things in her life when she was walking the earth. She spent time doing things that many of us would just say right now, no way. She loved people that no one would love. And many of us were like, well, I think she might be up there regarding the greatest of all time, Martin Luther King Jr., who did things that no one was willing to do and braved walks and talks that put his life on the line. So when you and I talk about the greatest of all time, we really got to get, I think, into more important stuff. Now, <laughs> here's what I know. Uh, I used to think I was the greatest dad of all time. Uh, my kids got me some socks. They said greatest dad of all time. That lasted about a week. Then I saw some dude in Target wearing a t-shirt said he was the greatest dad of all time. My thought was, well, we can, we can settle this right here in Target, but I think we'll both end up in jail. So I just left it alone. See, what I know is most of us, we are not arrogant enough to call ourselves participants in the conversation of the greatest of all time. Most of us would be like, yeah, that's a conversation about someone else. So I can't ask you if you think you are one of the greatest of all time. You won't give me an answer, mostly. And if you do, well, again, that's a whole other conversation. Most of us would say, I can't be in that. David, I, I haven't done enough good stuff to get me into the conversation of the greatest of all time. So I am going to ask you a question that you might be willing to answer in your head. Do not answer it out loud. How good are you? Not how great. <laughs> how good. And to give you some help, I put together a scale, zero to ten. So if you're going to play my game, which I'm in charge, so you are going to play my game, in your head, not out loud, I just want you to find yourself on this scale. Zero being you should be somewhere far off, locked up somewhere. In a, and then ten being like, you're good. So I don't know where you would land. Let, let me give you some reference points for those of you who I need help, David. I don't do well in, in school, and I get it. I didn't either. So let's put, let's put Hitler at the base here, okay? And I think, I think we can all safely say if there was negative here, we might be able to even land him there, right? Okay, so, so I'm just helping you get some, some references. Mother Teresa, who I brought up, I would say she's definitely on the opposite end of Hitler, Again, she would go in and take care of people who had disease and no one would touch them, but she would. Many of us, whether you grew up in church, no church, spend time in church, maybe this is your first go at it. Most of us know about Mother Teresa. So for lack of a better example, I wasn't sure where to put myself, so I'm going to land in the middle because being close to Hitler is scary. And, and being close to Mother Teresa is equally scary for a whole other reason. I, I just, you know, so, so, so again, in your own mind, not out loud, I'm going to ask you again, just for you to figure out your own brain. How good are you? Where would you fall on a scale like this? Now, <laughs> now I know some of you, you're, you're leveraging this moment. You're, you're nudging that person you love. You know, sweetie, you're a 10. And, and good job, I teed that up for you. But here's the deal. Here's the problem. Even if you are a 10, you still have a problem. Even if you are the best person that has ever lived, there's still a problem. 
there's a gap between you and God. You can land on nine. Most of us didn't put ourselves there. Most of us definitely didn't put ourselves on ten. But you need to know that you are not as good as God. Now, now I think most of us are like, I know this. I mean, God, our creator, the one who made everything. I don't know where you've landed on your belief in God, but I would say, and we believe it strongly as a church, that God made this world. And God is incredible. He's perfect. He's never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. So you and I have to deal with something because when it comes to God, you need to figure out where you land. And there's a gap that you can't fix on your own. In fact, I would say being a 10 doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't land you where you're like, oh, I was so good. Some of you, you're happy, you're like, you can't wait to tell your family members, I went to church on Easter weekend. God's got to like me more than he's ever liked me before. And, and a lot of us are trying. In fact, I would say a lot of us are trying and ending up defeated. I don't know if you've ever felt defeated because you had a day where you were horrible. I've learned as a parent, a lot of those days come around. <laughs> I've lost count of the amount of bad parenting days I've had. I've lost count of the bad husband days that I've had, the bad friend days. In fact, if, if you and I had time and I told you about my life, you'd be like, you should not be a pastor, David. But I think you might feel similarly about your own life where you and I often be like, you know what, I'm not good enough. And many of us think the way to fix our problem because God is so good. And I don't know if you ever thought about life after death, but you're not going to be able to spend eternity with God unless this problem is fixed. And there's a gap between you and God. And in fact, to really take you to a depressing all-time low. Let me show you what the Bible says about this. For everyone has sinned. Everybody. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, if you're like, like, oh, Mother Teresa fell short of God's standard. If you resolved every single problem on this globe, you would still fall short of God's standard. If you helped every person that you could ever help, if you made perfect decisions from this day forward, you still, and as I would, fall short of God's standard because God's standard is perfect. Now let me take us to an even more depressing place. Because you're like, what's the big deal? Okay, I'm not God, I get it. For the wages of sin is death. If, if you're not plugging this in, this is saying that if you don't meet God's standard, there's death. Now some of you are like, I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still going. That doesn't, that, that part of the Bible must not be true anymore. No, 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 no. The original writer you need to know this because when it was originally written, life was different. There was no social media, which wouldn't that be great? Just think for a moment. There, there wasn't a lot of things. But when this was originally written and the writer was like, okay, we got to talk about the fact that, that we don't meet God's standards. So he writes for the wages of sin is death. To translate it for you to go into the original meaning, the cost 
of not meeting God's standard is death. Now, the word death was not in reference to our physical bodies. In fact, the word written there was often a word used to refer to hell itself. So he's writing the cost of not meeting God's standard is hell. Some of you are like, I knew I shouldn't have come to Easter at the Civic Center. And you're worried. Maybe going, I think it's time for a bathroom break. Maybe somehow I can get out. Some of you are trying to make your kid cry just so you can get out. Why in the world would a pastor open up a celebration time talking about how basically we don't meet God's standard and that means we go to hell? Yay! No. It's a very simple fact of life. Let me show it to you. To know where to go, you got to know where you are. It's a foundational lesson in life that if you haven't begun to teach your kids or your friends or if you haven't implemented this at work or wherever you are, even as a student, you can't get to where you need to go and want to go if you don't know where you currently are. That's why most good maps will tell you, you're right here and you know where you're at. So I got to launch an Easter sermon talking about how you and I don't meet God's standard. We don't meet it. It's a reality that I don't actually care for. I wish it didn't exist. I wish this was not a problem, but it's a problem. But here's the good news. Let's really talk about the greatest of all time. It's a problem you can't fix, but it's a problem that Jesus fixed. So when you and I might find ourselves arguing sometime, debating, maybe that's more the nicer term, I would tell you the greatest of all time is settled. There will be great athletes and musicians. There will be great scientists. There will be great world leaders. But the greatest of all time is settled. Jesus. The problem regarding us not meeting God's standard, Jesus resolved and settled. It's all wrapped around the Easter story. So why do churches globally gather and celebrate Easter, it's because Jesus is the greatest of all time. So that's what I want to briefly bring to your attention. And to do so, let me take you to Jesus's final words. Jesus, if you don't know the context, is on a cross. Seen at that time, and maybe even still today, as the most painful, severe form of capital punishment. Jesus has been nailed physically to pieces of wood. When Jesus had tasted it, they offered him this bitter wine. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. If you're like, then he died. Final words. I mean, mean, final words are a big deal. We all would agree to this. Jesus, the greatest of all time, ends that moment saying, it is is finished. Now, if you've been around Fountain Springs for a little bit, you know oftentimes I read the Bible not just for what it says, but what does it not say? (laughs) And I was like, what are you talking about? Jesus didn't say, I am finished. 
Jesus didn't say at his last moment, he's breathing his last breath, he's, he's saying his last words, he does not say, I am finished. He doesn't say, I lost, because that's what that would have meant. And anytime you lose, anytime you endeavor into something that is so significant that you're investing your life and you lose it and it breaks apart, you know that finishing bad is heartbreaking. If you've ever had a marriage end, you know how heartbreaking that can be. If you've ever felt like you failed as a parent, if you've ever failed at work, or just maybe you made some decisions and choices you never should have made, and you realize that you didn't finish, you know how heartbreaking it is. And do you realize, if Jesus had said, I am finished, that would have meant he lost, and that would have meant you and I lost. That would have meant the standard gap between us and God would be left unresolved, meaning we would be left hopeless where life would truly be all about how good you can be, which is impossible to meet that standard. So let me go to what he actually said, because I already read it to you, but let's focus on it. Jesus said, it is finished, which is different. Not I am finished. He said, it is finished. It. He's referring to some sort of mission at hand. So his last words are, it is finished. Now that word finished is something that you need to know about. The word defined in the original language would have meant complete. Finished literally meant complete. So to help you understand Jesus' final words while he's dying, he says, it is complete. He's saying, I achieved it. And you're like, wait a minute. What does, what does Jesus dying actually achieve? What did he complete? I would tell you, he resolved our problem. Because what you'll always teach a kid is that decisions have consequences. <laughs> Meaning that when you make a choice, if it's a bad choice... You don't get to just say, I'm sorry, and everything is okay in that moment. Something, there's a cost to every decision, and Jesus knew that. So in essence, when Jesus is on a cross and he's about to die, he says, it's finished. I would word it this way. He would say, the bridge is complete. And in fact, if you went back to that scale, <laughs> That scale of, of considering, okay, I'm trying to be good, and then there's God. You need to know Jesus, the greatest of all time. He spent approximately 33 years here on planet Earth. What was he doing? I would tell you, he was building this. So when he says at the end, not I am finished, it is finished, it is complete. I would tell you, his death, built a bridge. His life paid, and this has the potential to really go into your soul, his death paid for your sin. Most of us resonate when we talk about some of our heroes in the military whose lives pay for our freedom. 
You need to know Jesus, his death paid for our freedom. So when I tell you that Jesus uh, is a bridge, some of us are like, I, I like bridges, but I don't see the big deal. <laughs> I mean, bridges are, are cool, maybe. But most of us, when let's just say someone was doing construction around your area, you're like, get the bridge done. Come on. Let's, let's stop having major traffic. Let's have bridges. And I would tell you that you value bridges. You just may not know it fully. I can take you to another part of the world and show you the value and the power of bridges. If you were to go to rural Kenya, Africa, I was there as a kid. If you were to go over to rural Kenya, Africa, during the rainy season and even just after, you would see one of the greatest dangers in the whole entire country. It's the rivers. See, when the rain pours down, it makes the rivers, who are already full of dangerous man-killing animals, to where it's just impassable. The rivers, literally on one side of the river is the doctor, the market, the job, the education. And on the other side are the folks going, we can't get to that. In fact, I, I was reading an article and I thought it spelled it out. This is one of the folks who lives around there. Uh, there were so many people, this is the words of the villager. There were so many people, so many who lost their lives. How do I know? Because I have no parents. I have no parents because this river took them. That's normal. That's normal in Kenya. And so there was a guy one time. There's always this person, right? There's this person over there just working, finds out about what I just told you. Finds out that, that people are dying. In fact, there are stories of a mother who in the middle of the night needed to take her little kid to the doctor. She rushes towards it, but got across the river, goes to the river, sees that it's roaring, and she can't pass. This guy heard this stuff. He says, this has to stop. So a guy, <laughs> Harmon Parker, has started to build bridges. They're about six grand a piece. <laughs> and from the most recent numbers I find, he's built approximately 46 of them. 46 bridges where now folks can cross it and go to work, go to sell the crops that they've raised. They can go to the doctor, and you must believe this because I know they're not here to tell you, but they would tell you bridges bring life. And although you may have grown up just as I have in a place where there's always a bridge, even before you ask for a bridge, you must believe this is bridges are critical. I know you believe this. And the Easter story is all about bridges. In fact, I read to you a tough verse, uh, Romans 3.23. Let me show you the next one. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. And you're like, if you haven't grown up a church, you're like, we are what? Uh, yet God freely and graciously, meaning you can't earn it, you can't be good enough. He just says, here you go, declares that we're righteous, made right in his eyes. If you've ever feared the day that you stand in front of God and hope you were good enough, you don't have to fear that day. He did this. You know why Easter's so amazing? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. 
If you've ever had a day where you realize that you aren't good enough and you fear that moment that you meet God. What I love about the Easter story is when Jesus is dying, he says, it is finished. But he doesn't say, I am finished. Because if you don't know the story of Easter, he raises from the dead. Proving, not done yet. (laughs) Built the bridge, but now it's time to help people cross the bridge. So if you want to know why church was actually established, it was not to judge people. Please let me help you resolve that. It was not so we would have a place where we all just like each other, because that does not exist. The church was established to take the it is finished moment and help others know that if life feels incomplete to you and doesn't feel like it has the hope you wish it had, if, if you've had the days where you failed miserably, you're like, is this the end? Is this over? And, and he's like, no, Easter, Easter proves that the bridge is finished, but God's not finished with you. I thought one of the best ways to share this with you, with, for you to hear from someone I consider, and a friend, I mean, he's a fountain springer, it's what we call people who go to Fountain Springs, if that's weird to you. But he, he was on the other side, on the scale, somewhere between zero and ten. And he would tell you, not even close to ten. And the beauty of the Easter story is that God says, I've built a bridge that will meet you at whatever number you identify at. So some of you are like, I'm a three, what do I do? No. <laughs> Jesus will meet you at three, at two, and I would even argue at zero. He will meet you anywhere you are, and this story, my friend Matt, will help you and I understand the power of trying not to be good on our own and letting Jesus be the good that we simply devote our lives to. So listen to this story with open hearts. It could change your life. My life before Christ was chaos. I didn't, I didn't know what love was. Growing up, I didn't know how to love myself or act in any way that, that I could show that I really cared about anyone. Started doing drugs at a young age. Um, it, it numbed me to where I didn't have this hatred for myself. I always felt like I didn't mean anything to anyone and I wasn't worth anything. There was no purpose to any part of my life. I could never accumulate enough drugs or people or whatever to make myself feel whole. And I couldn't love myself because just my past growing up, I just hated everything about the person that I was and the way that I had treated people and hurt people through my life. The last time I got in trouble, it was... uh, February, February 15th, 2014, I uh, went to jail. I was actually on drug court. I failed the UA after being out for the longest period that I had been out since I was 18. I was in the, in the jail. They, uh, I was up for termination from drug court and I seen this guy and he asked me if I was spiritual, and I really wasn't. But my wife, or my fiance at the time, 
she was. She was a leader for Young Life, and that was something that drew me to her. And so he, he sat me down and he started reading me some of the Bible, and just the scripture that that stood out was Romans. I think it was Romans 7:18, where you know there is no good in me, and the good that I do. I, the good that I want to do, I don't do, but the bad that I don't want to do, I do. You know, and like, I could just relate to it. And he was just going through just different scriptures and it, it just opened my eyes to, that I'm not unique in that way. I'm not this failure my whole life because every thought that I have is, is bad or every action that I do, there's selfish motives behind it. Like it's, a lot of people deal with these things and I was able to, to relate to it, and I had never really related to anything like that because nobody knew those feelings that I had about myself. And I, I gave my life to Christ in a jail cell in county jail here in Rapid. It was like seeing color for the first time. It was it was like being able to to open my eyes and actually realize that that I am loved. That He didn't die for nothing, and, and learning that was just. He died for me, he died for everyone, but just taking it personally, he died for me. Like, I have to do something better with my life. I have to, I have to give it back. I have to show people this and, and, and portray the love that I feel, portray the feeling of being loved and being forgiven. Learning that, that I am forgiven for, for my past was, it was like just all this weight lifted off my shoulders, like I was, light as a feather I could I could do anything now and I was still in I didn't have any freedoms except the few little privileges that you get and I felt free God's got a purpose for my life he's got a purpose for everyone's life he has a future designed for me he has a hope that even when I'm weak and even when I stumble and fall he doesn't give up on me he doesn't look down on me he wants to see me succeed, so he encourages me. He gives me a hand. He helps me up and allows me to take that next step. You can do it. It's not, you're not lost. You're not a lost cause. You, nobody's going to give up on you. God's not going to give up on you. You have an opportunity to, to feel loved, to feel wanted and needed, and feel a purpose for your life. Feel like you can do it and, and know in your heart that that you can because God's with you. God can give you that step. He can give you that strength. He can give you just enough to allow you to keep going as long as you lean on him. Here's what I know, and I can prove it. So for those of you like, here's what I know. God's not finished with you. The reason I know is it's because you're here. And so I would take that as evidence that God has hope for you. If you don't know your Bible, in the Bible, in the book called Acts, they were about to kill some of the disciples for talking about Jesus. And one guy pipes up like, you don't need to kill him. History tells us that just in a few years, everyone's going to stop talking about Jesus. And if, if everyone stops talking about Jesus, we know that Jesus wasn't really the son of God, the bridge. But if people keep talking about him years and years ago, well, maybe, well then maybe he is. So 2,000 years ago, that was spoken. And now you and I are here. 
which would have been enough evidence back then <laughs> that he really was the bridge. And the Bible, so good for us, it gives us so much truth to hang on in a world where oftentimes it feels like we're just being blown back and forth. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless. If you're like, what's that mean? You are made right with God as you stand before him without a single fault. If you've ever wanted to stand in front of God without a single fault, if you've ever wanted to have hope now, hope as a student, as a teenager, that life doesn't have to be about how good you are in your grades, although grades are important. But God doesn't see you through the lens of your grades. God doesn't see you through the lens of how good of a parent you were or how good of an employee you were, how successful you were or unsuccessful you were at work or how much money you got or don't have. That's, God doesn't see you through those lenses. He's like, here's how I see you. Are you with Jesus or not? So we spend life this way. We either walk the bridge Jesus built or spend life trying to build our own. I think we all should be able to confess that and say, that's how life works. We either walk the bridge that Jesus laid out and says, take this bridge, or you spend the rest of your life trying unsuccessfully to get to 10, and then you have a whole nother problem between 10 and God. I don't know where you're at. I just know many of us have gathered like this and it's on purpose. And I would tell you <laughs> that God can do something here with us if you have open hearts. So, if you are ready to cross that bridge that, that Jesus built, that specifically looks like this. It's where you have a conversation with God. Some call it prayer. It's where you have a conversation with God and you simply say what you believe now because either you believe you're your savior or you believe Jesus is your savior. That's what Easter is all about, is identifying who your savior is. So here's what I'd like us to do. No matter who you are, if this is your first go at church or you've been a part of church for a long time, I would like for us all to bow our heads and close our eyes and to have a conversation with God so bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm just trying to free you up from distraction. And so here's what I want to put in front of you. I can help you start this relationship with Jesus. Let me give you the words. You can just privately say this to God. God, I'm sorry for falling short of your standard. I am sorry for my sins. And today, I declare to you that I accept your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for me, building a bridge for me. God, I will no longer try to earn my way to you. I accept what Jesus has done for me, that he not only died, but he rose from the grave for me. God, I walk the bridge. I ask that you fill every corner of my life 
and that you help me, give me hope and peace. I devote the rest of my days to you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, some of you, you, you just prayed that, which is absolutely amazing. Let me help you go another step. I, something weird in my life, maybe it's not so weird. I have, I have markers that I call them, not like the writing markers. I have things that I have in my office, on my shelf, and even at home that mark moments in my life. I have, I have a stone that was given to me by one of our students who went on a missions trip and said, this stone is from where, where we were, and that means a lot to me. I have a stone that I got from Israel. I have pictures from my kids at different ages, and they're kind of markers. They let me just remember a lot about life. Well, some of you prayed that prayer, and I don't want you to forget it. I want you to have something that stirs something up in you that keeps you continually thinking about that. So we, we just a simple little token. says, today I decided to follow Jesus. But here's the deal. Uh, you're going to have to come get it. <laughs> Because I think there is something profound about transferring something just in our head and walking it out. So to even bring along what we've been talking about, there's actually a bridge on both sides of me. And I would love for you to have one of these marking the moment that you prayed, but I think some of you need to physically walk across a bridge. I think this needs to be something where you not only prayed it, but that you walk across the bridge acknowledging that you aren't your own savior. And so here's how this works. I'm going to count to three. You're like, that's what I do with my children. Well, I think it works. So here's the deal. I'm going to count to three, and if you are stirred by God, if you're at a place where you think I'm actually staring at you and that your heart rate is accelerating, like, I think I'm supposed to get up and walk across that bridge just to mark the moment. I'm going to count to three and then invite anyone who wants to do that to get up wherever you are and to walk down and across that bridge, marking this moment as a moment you recognize Jesus is the bridge that saves us. So here we go. One, two, three.